what does it look like to live in the kingdom of the heavens now? Love. And love requires community. Knowing we're loved gives us courage to face our brokenness and be vulnerable with one another. We can't be transformed to look like Jesus, nor show the fruit of that transformation apart from other people. Today we work with some of these ideas in a conversation with Chris Webb, talking about his new book, God-Soaked Life, Discovering a Kingdom Spirituality. Chris is a Benedictine Anglican priest. He helps run a retreat center in the UK, and he's also the former president of Renovare. My name is Nathan Foster, and this is the Renovare Weekly Podcast. I love this idea of Christians being known for the hope, confidence, and joy, and uh, the kingdom. I mean, that uh, that fits really, really well. Um, yeah. And it fits your book. Yeah. Tell, tell us a little about your book. Sure. So well, the book is called God Soaked Life, and, uh, and hopefully the, that captures really well what the book is about. I suppose the, the, the question that I was really um, wrestling with underneath the whole of this book, and, and I, it, it, it kind of surfaces from time to time, particularly um, in the there's a sort of prologue around this, and then there's bits of that that get picked up as we go along. Um, so the question that I was really wrestling with uh, was, if heaven is not a kind of a bit of geography and, you know, something that's out there somewhere, uh, wherever out there is it, it, up above the sky in another dimension, in a spiritual world, the thing that we get to after we die. So it's, it's real, but it's, it's nothing to do with the reality that we live in now. Um, if that's not what heaven is, if heaven isn't defined by geography and location and so on, but is defined by, the the presence of god if that's what heaven is about a place where god is magnificently present and we're aware of that presence um and if therefore uh we we look at the world around us now and say well wait a minute this is the creation of god and god is present here mm-hmm. right right here um the the spirit is always with us um we, we live in god's presence right now we we are in heaven. Heaven has already started. Eternity mm-hmm. began uh, some time ago, and we're already part of it. So when Jesus talks about eternal life, he's talking about something now. Um, when when he talks about uh, when the Bible talks about heaven, it's talking about a reality we already experience. Mm-hmm. Um, th- I mean, th- some of this will be f- for folks who've been hanging around Renovari any length of time. These will be familiar ideas, you know. Um, so if that's true, and, 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 and I had this kind of idea that when Jesus is talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of God, he's also talking in that same vein. He's talking about something that will, yes, have its complete realization one day in the future, that it's something that we don't fully live in now. Um, th- this is not a new idea, but, but, mm-hmm. this idea, but Jesus is looking forward to something, but f- looking forward to something that we're already experiencing. Yep. So he will often talk about the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God has come uh, and is at hand and so on. Um, so what I wanted to do in the book is to wrestle with the question, well, if that's really true, then what does that imply about the way that life 
looks? What what should my life look like? What should my relationship with God look like? What kind of person do I become if that's true? What does life in, in community look like? What does life in society look like? What, what does that do to my understanding of, of politics? And and particularly the, the, the piece that I wanted to to, to kind of single out. I, 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 you know, you feel like you're 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 working with an idea there that's very familiar to people. Um, mm. Folks, who do any any theological study, one of the first things you ever hear is the idea of the kingdom is now and not yet. You know, so right. it's already here, but it's not fully here. Okay, fine. So that's not new. Um, another piece that's floating around is that when Jesus is asked, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, you know, but when Jesus is asked what is this great big whole hairy deal called life all about? Jesus says, well, it's about love. Mm. It's about loving God and it's about loving your neighbor. And in fact, everything else that you find in scripture hangs on that. That's, that's what it's all about. Um, but then what does that imply about what life looks like? So if we're going to talk about the kingdom, we're obviously talking about something that we live in community. Mm. It has essentially got something to do with relationships. It is essentially about love, about our relationship with God as a relationship with love and a relationship with one another as relationships of love. Um, so clearly we are, um, God, God wants to shape us as loving people who can participate in a loving community um, and, and who can work together towards the creation of a of loving society and so on. You know, this, this is what life is about. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I found myself worrying away at this was because I have spent so much of my life uh, working on the whole area of spirituality and spiritual formation. And the longer that you spend in that world, the more you realize that uh, an awful lot of what we're talking about begins to feel like it's something that's happening in a bubble. Mm. And in a bubble, I exist and God exists in some sort of vague slightly undefined way um and it's almost a little bit separate from the rest of the world around me mm. uh, and and so i want to become i want to be spiritually formed so that i can have a more abundant and fulfilling life and so that i can become more like jesus and so that my prayer life can become deeper and my engagement with scripture can become more fulfilling and so on and so on and so on and and you think to yourself i i, I suppose I, I found myself asking the question how different would my spiritual formation look if I were living on a desert island? Mm. Actually, an awful lot of the stuff that I'm hearing and a lot of the stuff that I'm teaching could be done perfectly well by Robinson Crusoe before he even met Man Friday. You know, <laughs> it's very kind of individual. And yet, if the whole thing is about love and about our relationships with one another, then that has to be the whole thing for spiritual formation as well. Mm. I can't do this in a bubble. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you start asking the question, uh, so I'm being formed into Christ likeness. Well, what is the essential characteristic of Christ likeness? Well, it, it's love. Mm. I can't do love without other people. Um, I'm not sure I can. I can. I'm not sure that I can um, demonstrate that I've been spiritually formed without having other people around me to live in community with. But I'm not sure that I can be spiritually formed on my own either. Mm. I don't do it. You know, simply by being in silence and stillness and praying and reading scripture and so on, that I can do this project on my own. Right. And, and so the, all those kind of things began to gel together. And, and, and I found myself asking, so what does spiritual formation look like if heaven is a reality now and heaven is essentially about a community of people in loving relationships with each other? What, what happens when all those things gel together? What does it mean to live in heaven today? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and and what came out at the other end was the book, basically. <laughs> um, you know, uh, was God soaked life. Uh, I, in in some ways, I, I want to say uh, it feels like I spent twenty years uh, or more writing the book, um, which kind of implies that it probably should have been a longer book. But <laughs> but at the same time, it's it's just you know it's taken me twenty years to learn that much. So that that's my best shot at the moment. No, that's a a, a good book. It's been well lived, right? Mm, yeah, working, working this through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What what does that look like practically for people? to move beyond the kind of island sense of just, you know, kind of me and God peace, but to uh, love and community. Uh, how does that play out for people or for you? Well, sure. Um, oh, gosh, there are so many different directions we could go with the question. <laughs> yeah, take your time. No rush. Yeah. Um, let me try and pick out a couple of examples of, of what I mean. There's a whole section in the in the book um, where I talk about um, honesty mm-hmm. uh, and about our our honesty with one another. Now, of course, honesty only ever becomes an issue in a relationship. Um, it, it, you you know, honesty is about t- telling the truth to an, another person, telling the truth to God as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, actually, in our relationship with ourselves and with God, it's a little bit odd because. Um, we can lie to ourselves, but usually not very successfully. The, the the best lying to ourselves is usually done unconsciously. You know, when we play pretend and mm-hmm. we think we're telling the truth, um, but when we when we really try to lie to ourselves, it doesn't work very well because we know we know the reality. Sure. And likewise, if we try to, we do. I mean, I think we do lie to God all the time. I don't think we do it intentionally, um, but in the sense, not in the sense. I think we do it in the sense that we um, we say things that if we stopped and thought about it for a moment, we'd know that wasn't true. But we they sound like the right things to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, this is one of the things I wrote about in the book that that often in our praying, um, we will tell God the things we think that God wants to hear. <laughs> um, so I, I'm. Uh, I'm fe- I'm feeling really angry with somebody that they, they, they've they've really upset me. They've done you know whatever it is that they've done that has really put my nose out of joint. And um, and I come before God and I say some wonderful prayer like, Oh Lord of heaven and earth, you are love and you call us to love and you call us to forgiveness. And so I forgive Fred. He did this terrible thing uh, and it was hurtful, but I forgive him and I ask you to bless him. We do those sort of prayers because we think they're the sort of prayers that God wants to hear. Mm. Um, it's not true. It's not true at all. I mean, the truth is, I don't want God to uh, to forgive Fred and to bless Fred because I'm really ticked off with Fred. And, mm. and actually, what I'd really like to ask for is a thunderbolt, at least a little <laughs> one. Uh, you know, I'd like to ask for some pain and some suffering and a little bit of cursing, but I don't have the nerve to do it because I think, well, that's not what Jesus told us to do in the Gospels. Mm. And and so I pre- play pretend. So so I think we do in that sense we tell lies to God, but it's not very successful because again. Deep down, we know that God knows the truth. Sure. So we're not very good at, in that sense at lying to God. We are fantastic at lying to one another. <laughs> we are brilliant at it because I know that I can tell someone a lie. And I know that if I present that lie uh, with enough conviction, and if I present that lie unflinchingly, and if I present it convincingly and I dress it up in the right way, they will buy it. They will swallow it. And they will not know that it's not the truth. And so I can present myself, my behavior, my ideas, my work, my, whatever it is. I can present that to other people uh, in, in 
with rampant dishonesty and absolutely get away with it, at least a lot of the time. Mm. And we and we do. We do it all the time. Um, and, and this is one of the ways in which we do not love one another. Mm. Mm-hmm. By lying. Um, by refusing to open up and to tell the truth about who we are, to tell the truth about our weaknesses and our failings and our vulnerabilities, um, and therefore refusing to create the kind of safe space in which other people can open up about their weaknesses and their struggles and their vulnerabilities. Um, every Sunday, every pastor has to stand up and pretend to be an angel. Right. They don't have, mor- they have little moral weaknesses. They can talk about those in their sermon. You know, they could say, um, a pastor can stand up and say, um, uh, oh, I was driving in the traffic the other day and somebody cut me up and I shook my fist and said, oh, you, <laughs> I'm a little bit cross. And I, and I asked the Holy Spirit to take that anger away. They can do that because everyone will say, oh, you know. um, but there's not really a pastor in the country who can stand up and say, I lost my temper with my family again this week and I hit one of my children. Mm-hmm. And I punched him in the face, and I'm not proud of it. And that, I need the Holy Spirit to heal that side of me. Well, that pastor will be looking for a job on Monday morning mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We, because there's no safe space to do it. But when there's no safe space for the pastor to do it, there's no safe space for anyone else either. Mm-hmm. So we can't love one another. We can't help each other because we don't know what the problems are. And, and we can't even open up about what the problems are because there's no space to do it. And, and for me, one of the real contrasts uh, is between that kind of environment and then something like a, a classic uh, 12-step group. Mm-hmm. You think, who's ever going to get drummed out of an Alcoholics Anonymous group for having had a drink? Mm-hmm. The, the whole point of an AA group is that you can come in and tell the truth, no matter how nasty, no matter how dirty it is, no matter how, how, how much you've messed up. The, the, in fact, the, the one thing that might uh, you know, be strongly discouraged in a group like that is, is precisely the dishonesty. Right. Right. You know, when you come in drunk and say, I'm fine, I'm sober, you're going to get challenged. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're really not, are you? You know, you're not fine. But when you come in and say, I'm a mess, then everybody's going to say, we're really glad to hear it. We're not glad to hear it's a mess, but we're glad to hear you say it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have a place here where you can say it. Uh, and now we can help. We can talk about it. We can support one another. Mm-hmm. The term rigorous honesty <laughs> comes to mind. Yeah. Which, of course, is difficult and painful. And- and it's it can be a really slow process in in a community that's not used to doing that. It's a very slow process creating that kind of honesty and vulnerability. Um, the pastor is not going to succeed in creating that kind of vulnerability by standing up on a Sunday morning and opening up about all their deepest, darkest, most shameful sins. Right. They're going to be on the job queue. You know, that's that, that's that's the end of their ministry there. Um you, you have to do small baby steps to get there. But a lot of the time, we don't seem all that interested even in the small baby steps. <laughs> I, we would prefer to be dishonest. I, I like this, that living an honest life before God, before others, that in a sense it's living in reality, not in a kind of falsehood, which yeah. fits very well with kingdom life. Yeah, yes. It's, it's a reality in front of us. Yeah. How, how do we play that out with you know, proper boundaries. And I mean, you mentioned baby steps, but what does that look like for someone in leadership or an individual to move closer towards reality and living honestly? Well, I think it is always going to involve, here's the difficult part. However, the difficult part is not um, 
is not coming up with some kind of a strategy or not figuring out what the next step might be. You know, if, if, if you're in leadership and you want to create a culture in which vulnerability is okay, in which making mistakes is okay, in which people are flawed, um, then, then start, you know, just look at yourself in the mirror and ask, what is one thing that I can currently safely bring to this community that I have not yet safely brought? And then what's the next thing? And then what's the next thing? I mean, that's easy in that sense. Um, the, 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 the more things you safely bring, the, the broader the safety net becomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so there are things that every church leader can, can be more open about with their community without losing their job. And, and that openness breeds further openness on everybody's part. I don't think that's the hard part. The hard part is it's painful. Mm. Reality is a painful thing to deal with. Um, everybody present thinking now in a leadership and a, if you like a professional context, sure. you know, everybody presents themselves. I think everybody I know presents themselves as being better at their job than they are. Mm. We all, you know, um, I forgot to send that email. Uh, but what I will say is, Oh, I was so busy. I didn't have time to send that email. Um, uh, rather than just tell the truth. Mm. Uh, yeah. I, you know what? I, I forgot. And it was really important. And that was really inconvenient to you. And it was dumb on my part. I just didn't do it. So, mm-hmm. hey, sorry. Um, and I, I could promise not to do it again. But actually, I often forget to do those things. Sorry. You know, uh, it's much easier just to say, oh, I'm so busy. I'm so overwhelmed. I was writing 15 sermons. <laughs> because it seems more professional. And, and you know, sometimes in, and I see this in churches as much as anywhere else, we're almost playing the game of, um, how incredibly professional can I present myself to be? I, I'm superhumanly capable. I am on top of every task. Um, I'm on top of every relationship. Uh, I am um, uh, I, I am just being so creative. I'm producing so much. I'm achieving so much. I'm developing so many new projects. I'm you know I, I'm just amazing. I'm a wonder. And and we're we're seeking to present ourselves that way. Um, it, it is for, it, it's not reality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we all know it's not reality uh but that but, but we keep doing it all the same because the alternative is painful mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for for many pastors to to look their colleagues in the eye and say you know what it turns out that i am not saint paul or saint augustine or john calvin or rick warren or bill hybels or i'm i'm just not I'm just, I'm Fred and I love the Lord and I love you people most of the time. Um, and I'm, I'm doing my leadership thing here in this church and, and some of the time I'm not very good at it. Mm-hmm. I think that would be most ministers and pastors up and down the country all around the world. Most of the time I'm, I'm doing this job because I feel God has called me to it. Uh, there are things in it that I do well. There are things in it I do badly. The things that I do badly, some of them I'm going to go on doing badly for years because I'm just a work in progress. I don't always feel good about that. I try to love you people, but I don't always love you as much as I should. Um, that's about it. That's reality. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if we start 10 projects, I'll probably make a mess of seven of them and get through three of them about all right. You know, <laughs> The irony is the secrets, the choosing to not live in reality, to not walk into the kind of fullness and openness that kingdom life has available, mm-hmm. is that we can't get better. That, yeah. that in moving towards an honest life becomes ways that we can help grow and that community can help speak into this. The, the beautiful piece is that we get to grow too. 
So, you know, formation, this idea that we're becoming more like Jesus, that um, we're people in, in, in process, and and real growth, real fruit is a possibility. Well, yeah, I agree, yeah. I mean, sometimes it's like we're, we're like a person who walks into their, see their physician, and the, and, and the doctor says, how are things? And they say, great, fine, everything's fine. Of course it's fine, yeah. Well, you look like you're limping. No, oh, no, just these shoes. It's fine. No, everything's, it's all, it's all good. So those headaches, I don't get headaches, Doc. I'm all, I mean, this is, this is the way we're talking is the, but like you say, you know, the only way to get better is to acknowledge that there's a problem. And, and so, yeah, if, if we already have it all nailed, if we have no significant leadership problems and we have no significant moral problems and no significant spiritual problems, then we have absolutely no space for growth whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I've found that the close relationships are the places where this, you know, the rubber meets the road and this is where um, there's opportunities to move towards honest spaces. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and, and one of the things that I think we often find is that so many of the gifts that we need in order to experience healing and transformation in our lives have already been given, hmm. but they've already been given to other people because that's how God loves to work, you know, because God, I, God's obsession, as far, as far as I can tell, is God's obsession is creating relationships. It's, hmm. it's just constantly uh, multiplying the amount of love in the universe. Uh, and so, um, and so one of the ways that God does that is to say, yeah, I, 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 will, I, will, I will answer your prayer. I will meet your need. Um, I will give the gift that you require, but I will do it through someone else because mm-hmm. then that creates a relationship between the two of you. Um, so when we're holding other people at bay while we deal with our – I'll deal with all my own spiritual and moral issues and needs and so on. Um, then we're, we're, what we're doing is holding at arm's length all the gifts that God longs to give us. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the astounding things I think that people find uh, is that um, and 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 folk, there are folks listening who will have experienced this that that you do exactly that you hold people at arm's length you try to deal with everything that's going on within you it doesn't work at some point you and, and you're begging God you know please help me out here I'm dying inside you know what's going on even if I'm fooling everybody else you know what's going on why won't you heal me why won't you help me and the minute that we let down the defenses and finally let other people in and 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 own up to reality and the truth and say I've got real problems here we suddenly discover that God has been answering those prayers all along. Mm-hmm. But that people around us have been holding those gifts and just waiting to give them. Mm-hmm. A certain courage is required? Huge courage, I think. Yeah. Um, I think we don't know ourselves as well as we think we do. But we, uh, because... In our walk with God, we are in a constant process of self-discovery. We're always learning new new things about the person that God has made us to be. Um, so that kind of implies we don't know it already. But what we already know, a lot of it we're troubled by. Mm. Not by what God has made us, but by but what we've done with that, what we've become. The, the darkness uh, that is within many of us, we, we know about it. We, we may be fooling everybody else, but we know it's there. Um, and I, you know, I think that so many of us just wish that it would go away mm. all by itself. That if we just hold it off long enough, that that eventually it will just disappear. 
um, that, that, you know, spiritual and moral darkness, particularly, that all our sinfulness, our faults, our failings, the character flaws, our vices, all of this, um, it'll just be a little bit like leprosy in the Gospels. Jesus comes along and speaks a word and it's gone. But that's not the way you see. The fascinating thing in the Gospels is that we see Jesus come along and confront what you might call external forces of evil. So it, when he ca casts out the demons, you know, this is not part of a person's nature. This is something external to them. And he kicks it out. Great. Hallelujah. And when there are these physical ailments, he heals them. But I don't I cannot think of a single story where somebody comes to Jesus and says, but Jesus, I'm desperately uh, um, struggling with with anger or or with pride or with lust or with whatever it might be. This flaws of character, and Jesus says, "Be healed," and it's just gone. Mm. Doesn't happen. In fact, what Jesus does is collect together twelve flawed people and spend three years working on them before they even begin to be ready. Mm. And it's hard work, and it just won't go away by itself. And the courage that you're talking about, absolutely, it's the courage when we look that in the face and I guess kind of own it and say that is horrible and disturbing and shameful and difficult and it's me mm. and it's not going away anytime soon it is who I am it's not the whole of who I am and it's it's not what God is making me but it is me and I just think that is such a difficult thing to do, such a frightening thing to do for for all of us. Um, and the, the courage required to do it is enormous. But but get once get over that hurdle and 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 accept that and, and look that in the face and, and suddenly we discover that then that's exactly where the healing itself begins. Mm -hmm. yeah. I honestly I, I, I have no idea. I, every day there are people who are taking that step of enormous courage. They're doing it in churches. They're, they're doing it with counselors and therapists. They're doing it in 12-step groups. They're, in various ways, you know, the people are, they, there's an intervention in the family and they face reality and people have the courage to do it. How people find the courage to do that without a deep-rooted sense of the love of God for us, I do not know. Because that's the only thing that's given me the courage to be able to do it. The, the realization that all this lovely sort of stuff we talk about in church, you know, that sounds so, not, oh, God loves you. God really, really loves you. There's nothing that will make God's love go away because God will always love you. And and it sounds very nice. It can sound a little bit sweet and saccharine and so on. But but mm. when it when that sinks down to the very deepest level of your being you know when you're feeling that at gut level when you suddenly realize i can face this reality about myself and god will still love me that's what we've been saying long. then maybe there you can find the courage to do it mm -hmm. that's where i find the courage to start doing that at yeah. least yeah I, I are other people who do it i'm astounded by people who who do that without that reassurance of of god's love yeah. That rootedness, I'm loved, I'm yeah. liked, um, and yeah. and out of that can flow a sort of integrity of life of this yeah. is who I am, yeah. and and in all this, this idea of joy, freedom, confidence, how's that come? Okay, so think about it this way: 
if you look first into the face of God and you see there nothing but um, undeserved, unmerited, unasked for and unstoppable love, that you realize that you are loved by the creator of this universe uh, and, and that nothing is going to take that away. And then you take that good, hard look into your own soul and you see everything that God has made you. So you see all the wonder and the beauty and the magnificence of what it means to be a human being made in the image of God. But you also see all the wreckage and you see uh, every skeleton in every closet and you see you see everything that is so problematical and you see the hurt and the wounds and the, all the darkness, you, you just the whole of reality about yourself. You look that in the eye in, in all its wonder, but in all its horror as well of, of, of what we have made ourselves. And then you turn back and look in the face of God again. And still all you see is that undeserved, unasked for and unstoppable love. Then, then I just I don't know how else you can respond other than with joy to the realization, not not in some theoretical way, uh, because I've got a book and a Bible verse and, and, and the Bible tells me so. But because in my own experience, I have discovered, you know, when we say there is nothing you can do to stop God from loving you, we meant it. It's true. Mm. Um I just think that gives you a confidence and a joy in the face of life. When, when, you know, when it says that Paul says that what can separate us from the love of God? Mm. I mean, there's a man who's done that whole passage in Romans is a kind of testimony uh, of somebody who's done exactly that. They've looked, they've looked the darkness inside themselves in the face. You know, Paul says, I, I, I don't even understand myself. I, I, the things I want to do, I don't do the things I don't want to do. I did. I am such a messed up person. And yet, who will save me from this? Thanks be to God. And now there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. I am, he says, that wonderful, I am convinced. <laughs> now, I don't think this is convinced because he had a seminar and he sat down with uh, Apollos and Timothy and Silas and they argued it out and looked at passages from Leviticus. And at the end of it, Paul said, okay, you've convinced me. <laughs> I, this is a much more, this is a, an experiential thing that comes out of his own life. That, that he's discovered the truth of who he is and he's discovered that nevertheless God who also knows this truth loves him so deeply and so he asked the question so so given that what could I it's almost as though I've done everything it's possible to do to separate me from the love of God I've tried really hard I even persecuted Jesus own people in God's name you know <laughs> um, and uh, so I've, I've done everything you could possibly try to do and God still hung in there still loves me so what could separate us it's mm, beautiful of heaven and life death nothing so then really what do i have to fear it's good there's a real personal piece to your book i mean it it, it feels lived i'm glad you said that the 20 years book i mean it i believe it can i say that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, it's yeah, it's taken twenty years to get here, and and I think that for um, for many of us, and and I'm certainly one of these, you need to hit some pretty rough patches in the road, you know. Um, I I have met during the course of my life a handful of people who who have been really very young, and yet seem to have had the most incredible and profound grasp of 
of the reality of themselves and God and, and other people around them and what those relationships really look like, what they're really about. Um, I, I can think of, of one, a young nun, actually, who was in her early 20s. Um, she had cystic fibrosis. Uh, she had a um, uh, an expected lifespan into her late 20s, and, and I met her some time ago. She's probably not still with us anymore. Mm-hmm. Um and and she she was an astonishing young woman. Her the the depth of her self understanding, her self knowledge in the in the right and best way. You know, um, she knew who she really was, mm-hmm. and she knew the truth about herself for good and for ill. Um, she had a profound sense of God and of God's love. Uh, it shaped her whole life. She radiated confidence and joy, and not in that, not the kind of brash confidence of youth, you know, oh, what could possibly go wrong? Let's do this. And, you know, because we <laughs> haven't had enough life experience to find out what could possibly go wrong, uh, it was something much that she'd found out what could possibly go wrong. She she had a condition that affected her day to day life, uh, had done since she was a child, and she was not expected to live more than another four or five years. Uh, she'd had to look some hard things in the eye. Mm-hmm. And, and, transformed her uh, at a very young age I, I i find that a lot of us and i'm certainly one you have to go across a lot of bumps in the road you have to have some actually i think a lot of us we have to have some significant um pain and difficult moments and struggle um before we really will face up to the fact that we are mortal fragile frail weak mm-hmm. um in need of help in need of god in need of other people um so something has to happen to take the infallible, immortal person that many of us are when we're about know, 20 years old, you know, uh, <laughs> when, when in your mind. you can't even conceive of the possibility that one day you will grow old and your body will start to fail and then you will die or the possibility <laughs> that your brilliant insights and opinions about life, the universe and everything could possibly be wrong in any way whatsoever. And something has to happen to sort of tear that down, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, until we say, oh, actually, it turns out I'm a human being like everybody else. <laughs> I keep running into this, uh, particularly on the podcast, a number of mm. these times where the beauty of suffering, the gifts of suffering, and and I don't quite understand it, but um, it, it seems very, very helpful in the Christian life. Yeah, yeah. And there's a real mystery in there somewhere, and I don't pretend to fully understand it, But but one of the things that I have become very grateful for over the years um is is again paul writing in the romans uh letter to the romans where he writes um uh that god uh, works all things together for good for those who love him and does not say that all things are good mm. and the distinction between those the, the wisdom that lies behind that simple phrase that in the church in which i minister uh, we, we, the Church of England is a, an established church, you know, a thing that is an anathema to the whole American political system. But we're an established church. It's a civic uh, church. We we have a huge role in civic society. One of the offshoots of that is that a lot of people come to you in in transitional times in their lives, even if they have nothing to do with the church, um, and therefore you meet a tremendous amount of people who when they've just getting married or have had a baby or something wonderful like that uh, but also when they're dying or when they've just lost somebody and somebody has died uh, or um uh, when they uh, their marriage is falling apart or you know it's a common occurrence you see this kind of suffering 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 all the time um 
and and you know you don't have to sit very long with um uh, I, I i have buried more babies than i than I, I would ever have wanted to do and and i have sat with the parents as they've gone through that experience you know of, of holding their six-week child in their arms and watching it die and 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 i am never going to look at those parents in the eye and say the suffering is good mm-hmm. and the your baby was good and this was all the plan of god god wanted to bring this baby into the world to kill it mm-hmm. i mean i just wrong 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 we, we we are in a we are in a world that is characterized by by sin by evil by brokenness by darkness we don't understand where it all comes from or what it's all about but, but there are things that are just wrong and i think we weep over them and god weeps over them but but the astonishing truth of grace is that god takes everything the the good stuff, the great stuff, the the noble stuff, the, the our self offering and our self sacrificing, and all that dread, the most dreadful suffering sometimes of the 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 illness and death and and broken relationships and everything, and out of all of it, he seeks to bring good. Mm. And so you sometimes find, uh, you know, then you're in conversation ten years later, and you you're talking to parents who say. I, I never would have wished the death of my child. And I don't think for a moment God wished the death of that child. Mm-hmm. What has come out of that is, you know, um, I have been able to spend the last 10 years helping other parents who've been through the same thing and they have not gone through it alone because I've been able to share that experience with them. And, and I think to myself, did God kill your child so that you would be able to help with the grief of others? I don't believe that for a moment. Bring that grief, that gut, that goodness, and that that fruit and grace out of your suffering. Absolutely, I think that that is exactly what God did there. I was just listening to an interview I did a few weeks ago with Mimi Dixon on Julian and Norwich, mm. and that you know that quote that we all know of uh, "All shall be well," but that line before it, "Sin is inevitable." Yes, but all shall be well, all manner of thing. Yes. Um, yeah. It's helpful. You know, one of the things that I've, I found really helpful and I, I like about, about your book is, I mean, many of us have read um, Divine Conspiracy, aware of uh, Dallas's work, and, and you really give a kind of application, uh, practicality to some of these pieces in terms of what does it mean to live kingdom life here and now. Mm. Uh, very helpful. Very helpful. Hey, we we get to use your book for the book club. Yeah, we're we're gonna get to have uh, a couple of podcasts with you talking through this, and and you'll write some things uh, for the book club. What what are you working on? Yeah, so uh, I think we're gonna have uh, a handful of articles that we are gonna look at, and and what I'm gonna try and do with those, I've I've. Uh, as we're recording this now, some of that is written and some of that is still to come. Um, so I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to come out of that as well. But um, my uh, my hope and expectation is that we'll be able to um, take some of the key themes and ideas and stories and so on from uh, uh, from the book and, and kind of spin those off and, and explore them a little bit more. In one of the chapters, there's a little bit of reflection on poetry by Gerard Manley Hopkins. Mm-hmm. Um He's a British uh, poet, a Victor, late Victorian poet who I just 
love. I mean, I think he does a, a wonderful job of capturing uh, so much spiritual um, nourishment in, in some very, very short poetry. And and so I, I think in one of the um, the articles, probably, we'll do a little spin-off with that because that picks up on key themes in the book mm-hmm. um, and just see where that uh, takes it. I'm not alone in that, by the way, because... Um, uh, Eugene Peterson is also a big Gerard Manley Hopkins fan, so I'm going to say it's okay for me to be a fan of him. Uh, half of Eugene's book titles are nicked from Gerard Manley Hopkins. So, <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so we'll have a chance to uh, to go off and have a look at that. And then we've got uh, a couple of podcasts, as you say, and, and I think somewhere towards um, the end of things that you and I will be uh, hooking up again so that um, as folks have gone through the experience of reading it, they'll be putting together uh, questions. yes. But they can spring questions. Uh, <laughs> get to ask and, you questions. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Kind of uh, stump the chumps for, for <laughs> car talk fans. So, yeah, we'll see how we do. Excellent. Yeah, we've got a new, a new piece this time around for the book club where there's going to be an opportunity for uh, people in certain cities to meet up in person and discuss oh, yeah. the book. Yes, I, I saw that was happening as well. And I, I believe there may also be... Uh, um, as well, there are folks in the US and I think some in the UK who are doing the, the same thing. And um, so, yeah. I looked at the map. They're all over. There's some in Africa. Yeah, right. and, all right. Yeah. It's cool. exciting. Yeah. Wonderful. And how I would love to come and visit every single one. <laughs> <laughs> just You just tell them all they have to do is put together the... The, the plane ticket, the accommodation, and and and, and some ice cream, and, and I'll be there. <laughs> the ice cream is important. The ice cream is important, yeah. yeah. Well, I want to in, encourage people. That I love the way you book in this book, the beginning and the end, but I, I believe we posted the beginning piece. Imagine the day after your death, and so people could read that online and get a sense of where you're going with this. So... Thank you so much, Chris. This is just uh, very, very helpful. Sure. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Again, Chris's book is titled God-Soaked Life, Discovering a Kingdom Spirituality. It happens to be the first book we're reading in this season of the Renovari Book Club. Actually, a copy of Chris's book is included with the membership as is exclusive essays, podcasts, study guides, and a chance to ask Chris questions directly. I just recorded two of the three podcasts for this, and oh, they're really good. Of course, you can find more info on our website at renovare.org. Hey, thanks for listening, and have a great week.